Hey, so I am getting on here at the top of the episode because there's a lot of background noise in this episode, a lot of talking and baby crying. I did what I could do on my end to cut out as much as I could, but unfortunately you can still hear it. I've recorded other episodes since recording this and the kids have been moved upstairs. So hopefully this will be the last time there is this much background noise in an episode. So all this to say, thank you for being kind and understanding as you always are. And enjoy the episode. The closer she looked at those windows, the lovelier and more irresistible the house became. Robert Morasco, Burnt Offerings. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by Bradley from the Be Your Scary Best Horror Movie Podcast to help me revisit a topic from our very first episode, Haunted Houses. So welcome to the show, Bradley. Thank you. This is uh, is such a big honor. I'm like, I'm really excited, but I'm also just as equally nervous to you as I told you before we started. So, <laughs> I uh, was on your podcast and I was a little bit nervous because I had never really been on like a horror movie podcast. Um, I was on the Fright Night episode and I'm pretty sure I just spent most of the time talking about how hot Jerry the Vampire is and saying how awesome his sweaters were. Like, I don't know that I really added a whole lot. <laughs> Other than like, he looked really hot. I was just gonna say, y'all gonna say you just you just stole everything I was gonna say. I yeah, you and all you and Ashley, my uh, co-host, did was just talk about Chris Sarandon and his um his amazing uh, sweaters that he had throughout the entire movie. Um, and I'm actually happy to say that Fright Night is actually one of our more uh, popular episodes. So that so everyone has. Heard oh my yeah, definitely. Chris Sarandon thirst. It's out there forever now. <laughs> So this year I'm starting to do episode revisits and this is one that the Patreon supporters voted on for us to revisit. So do you like haunted houses? Is that like a genre of horror that um, you tend to go for? It wasn't one that I like normally seek out. It's just kind of, um, I'll just be looking for a good horror book and it just happens to be a haunted house book, but the, you know, the actual story around it is what makes it very intriguing. And then I've, kind of came to realize you know what these have some really good stories behind it and that's that's what makes them fun i think so too i think haunted house stories were probably more my in into horror because i think the Mm -hmm. the scares vary i was gonna say the scares tend to be on the like lower end but that's not necessarily true they they kind of run the gambit i don't remember if i talked about this in the first episode but what i like about haunted house stories is the way 
that they deal with relationships. Like a lot of the times we see kind of this unsuspecting family moving into like this house that's going to be haunted or this unsuspecting couple. And kind of as the story goes on, you see that the family is dysfunctional or that the marriage has a lot of problems. And then as the movie or the book goes on, you see that the house itself is kind of pushing on these sensitive pressure points in the relationship and kind of turning people on each other. And I think that's my favorite kind of haunted Mm -hmm. house. Yeah, there was there was I honestly don't remember if it was a haunted house movie or a book, but I do remember somebody saying something like. Like this house is hungry, and that's a that's a very scary thought, you know. Oh, Ugh. oh yeah. Just the fact that it, it it's a it preys on people basically, which is this gigantic inanimate object that suddenly is your enemy now is it's a pretty frightening thing. <laughs> oh yeah, and also the idea that like home mm-hmm. is where you go to feel safe. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like your safe place turning <laughs> against you. That's oh, that's an introvert's worst nightmare right there. <laughs> Yeah. I can't even hide in my own house. <laughs> even my own house yeah. is against there's, me. Um, I don't know how many people are going to remember this because it's so long ago, but there's a really amazing uh, Eddie Murphy bit talking about how, like, you know, when white people walk into haunted houses, they just ignore all the signs. But as soon as a black person walks in, they're like, oh, this is a really great house. And they just hear, get out. And he's like, well, it's too bad we can't stay. Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I we were house hunting a few years ago and we saw like all these old like pittsburgh houses and i'm like i get it now i get why people buy haunted houses like this is beautiful <laughs> look at this stairway look at this original uh, it's hardwood. all fun and games until the you know the sofa tries to kill you <laughs> i totally get it though there are, it's you very yeah. rarely see like a haunted house movie that the house is not aesthetically pleasing unless it's meant to be like the scary house on the street but for the most part with the family moving in like yeah it's kind of run down but for the most part you're like oh this is gonna look amazing when they're done with it you know and then and then it turns very scary (laughs) yeah it's got that Mm -hmm. i think most of them are probably in the victorian like the victorian charm house like i know i I talked about this. I don't remember which episode it was, but it's like when you watch like the Amityville Horror, I'm like, they bought a gigantic house <laughs> on the water with a boathouse for, yeah. you know, like a reasonable amount of money. I get it. Nothing has made more <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> like, yes, a family was murdered. <laughs> but I'm willing to put that aside for now. <laughs> Have you seen the real estate market? Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you got to just make that decision. <laughs> Have you seen these baseboards? That's enough to make me overlook the fact that a family was killed here. <laughs> yeah. it's that. That's kind of why I, I like uh, somewhat like the paranormal activity movies, which I know frighten you to no end. Um, it's because they're all done in like fairly modern houses. You look at that house and it's like, oh, that house was built in 2008. You know what I mean? And and that gives it that gives it a much more yeah. like i guess suburban twist too because it's normally not suburban haunted houses it's always the one house way out in the middle of the woods and stuff like that yeah and that one i mean i could be remembering it wrong but it kind of looked like it was like a duplex even like it mm. kind of the way it was set up it kind of seemed like there was a shared wall which i think gives you even yeah. more of a sense of security you know this isn't a house mm, that's in yeah. the middle of the woods this is yeah like you said a modern suburban house <laughs> where horrible things it always gives it a really good feel when you set something in you know in even something in like the 50s or the 40s because that's not 
the what we're used to obviously uh, but but even setting it now in your modern setting just makes it that much scarier because it's like oh that's that's me that's that's where i live that can happen to me yeah well i think i'm trying to remember what we picked for that episode and i know a few of rachel's picks kind of went against what we would consider the normal haunted house like we were saying the like either old victorian house or like kind of the house that is secluded in the middle of nowhere and like i think one of her books the graveyard apartment i mean that was like a high-rise apartment like that it's not a place that you would expect a haunting oh man (laughs) haunted apartment that sounds really fun i mean they've all got they've all got their cons you know they've already got noisy neighbors and stuff like that so you know why not throw a ghost or two in there in the lease agreement (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and that's uh the whole thing i mean i think like the whole idea of the american dream i think as it was presented is you know home ownership is a big part of that and i think that is part of the whole american dream becoming a nightmare and turning on itself and i think mm-hmm. i mean especially i think for our generation and generations going forward that's becoming like a much more difficult dream to obtain Oh yeah, it's um I'm actually I'm not I'm not looking for a home to own, but I am looking to move and like my god, I did not think it was this hard to move. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's insanely <laughs> difficult and it's such a pain in the ass. I am not liking it at all. No. I will take a haunted house right now if it meant I could move in there very easily. <laughs> yeah. Some, I'm telling you I've seen enough horror movies, I know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like the one of the other things I really like about it though is the slow build most most of them, unless you're reading a short story, are everything seems fairly okay, but then there's just little things here and there, and you get to about the halfway point, and things still are slowly kind of, you know, making you go like, huh, well, that's a little odd, but then you hit that three quarters of the way mark, and then shit just hits the fan, and everything just goes haywire, and that, you know, that's that's always fun. Yeah, because I feel like it always starts off with, like, things that can be easily explained away. Like, you hear skittering in the middle of the night, and it's like, that could be mice. Mm -hmm. That could be, you know, a pest. Like, we'll call the, you know, whatever person in the morning. Or it's always, like, a plumbing thing. Like, the sink drips, like, a little bit, and it's like... Yeah. "Mm, Not quite, like... (laughs) (laughs) I do like that they did that in in The Conjuring. They're like, oh, yeah, there was that scary sound coming from the attic, and it immediately cuts to... uh, Patrick Wilson staring at a pipe and the pipe's making the sound. He's like, that's all it is. <laughs> just like they kind of just subverted that right away. <laughs> yeah, just just tightened a little bit. You'll be all right. <laughs> all done. Uh, so it was funny because we were looking for kind of haunted yeah. house movies to talk about. And we were looking through and a lot of them actually kind of don't fit the normal haunted house molds that we would Yeah, think. like... Because like we were saying, you know, like one of them said the sixth sense and it's like, well, no, because there's nothing really haunted in that, you know, or, um, or insidious. The house isn't haunted. It was the, it was the kid that was haunted, you know, which I do like they kind of flip it on its, on its Mm -hmm. ear a little bit and are going in a different direction with it, which that's always cool. But yeah, it's, there's surprisingly little straight up haunted house movies that you can think of besides the classics, like, you know, the haunting and, um, uh, what's the other one? Um. House on Haunted Hill, you know. Get that. Uh, we were talking about Poltergeist, Poltergeist earlier, and that also fits oh, yeah. in the suburban. Oh, man, that does. Yeah, how did I not think about that? Uh, yeah, then we talked about The Conjuring. Also, his house. I know I was talking to you about this before we started recording, mm-hmm. but um, 
that came out on Netflix late last year. And that I think is a perfect haunted house movie where kind of the issues and the haunting itself is kind of based upon trauma and grief Mm. that characters are going through and they're trying to suppress that but it keeps like popping up everywhere it's so good and i'm like yes i watched it and i'm like yes if i could articulate like what i want in a haunted house movie this is it this is what i want it's been on my list for so long i might just i might just have to go go finally watch it after we're done here because i i I don't know why i've been waiting for a push because i've been wanting to see it but that that was probably the push right there i'm pushing (laughs) oh wait that wasn't you that was a poltergeist (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro FM is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best. Booksellers. I mean, and us. We also have a playlist on there full of books that have been recommended on this podcast. Books in the Freezer special offer, you get two audiobooks for the price of one, just $14.99, with your first month of membership using code FREEZERBOOK. This offer is valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Thank you, Libro FM, for supporting the show. Are we ready to talk about some books? Let's do this. Okay. So mine are kind of all over the place, and I'm going to say my first one is very out of the box, but I felt like it fit in this category. So just work with it. All right, all right. (laughs) It is In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. This is a memoir, um, and I'm going to give trigger warning for domestic abuse and sexual assault. But this is her memoir about her abusive relationship with an ex-girlfriend. And what I liked about it is she has a very... I don't know if experimental is the right word, but a very interesting way of writing the book where each chapter is like dream house as this kind of story, dream house as like meet cute. And in each chapter, she's kind of giving snippets of like what her life was like before she met this girlfriend, what it was like her life was like meeting this girlfriend, you know, the good times in their relationship. And it kind of goes back and forth to like her trying to heal from the abuse that she went through in this relationship so you know each chapter starts out as like dream house as cosmic horror oh. dream house as choose your own adventure dream house as murder mystery so like one of the uh, quotes i liked from it in this way the dream house was a haunted house you were the sudden inadvertent occupant of a place where bad things had happened and then it occurs to you one day standing in the living room that you are this house's ghost You are the one wandering from room to room with no purpose, gaping at the moving boxes that are never unpacked, never certain what you're supposed to do. After all, you don't need to die to leave a mark of psychic pain. If anyone is living in the dream house now, he or she might be seeing the echo of you. Oh, God. And the fact that you said that's a memoir just really is really making me want to read it because 
you can translate that into just a regular horror, just a horror fiction book on its own. But the fact that it's a memoir is just, oh my God, that just gives me chills. Yeah, it's, I love her writing in this. And I mean, I, I mean, she goes and really gets into the kind of abuse that she went through and the fact that, you know, it wasn't physical abuse. So I think people that have suffered in abusive relationships, especially if they never get physical, have a hard time, I think, even coming to terms and calling it that and saying like, well, it wasn't that bad because I was never hit. Like I was never slapped. I was never punched. So like, was it really abuse? Maybe I am just like making a big deal out of Mm -hmm. it. And I think it's important for people to have stories like this to turn to. And I think especially she's talking about a relationship that doesn't look like the normal domestic abuse relationship. You know, she's a Mm. Latinx woman in a lesbian relationship she grapples with the idea of even like coming forward because like what if it she's like i just feel like what if i'm setting like you know lesbians back (laughs) by doing this (laughs) and you know just like stuff that's very real and very honest um i will say if you have small children maybe don't play this as an audiobook because like i mean obviously the topics are very heavy but she also has a lot of sex scenes (laughs) Um, there are a lot of sex scenes that are really also narrated in this very matter-of-fact way, which is kind of the same way that she recounts the instances of abuse mm-hmm. that she went through. So it's it's kind of all uniform in this way. And I don't know. it. I gave it five stars. I have not read her short story collection that I think most people are familiar with. I think it's her body and other parties. So that is next on my list, but I I picked this up and it did not let me down. I think if it sounds interesting to you, like 100% check it out is worth it. Just know it's got <laughs> dark material and uh, you know experimental kind of chapter to chapter style that changes. So yeah, I don't know that I'm gonna rate this because that again is personal. <laughs> So that is In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Yeah, that's understandable. You don't want to rate somebody else's trauma. That's you know what? That wasn't traumatic yeah. enough. So you're 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 only getting room temperature. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It didn't give me nightmares. Uh, yeah. So All right. Uh well before I get into my first book, I just thought it was funny that when we were discussing doing this episode, I was like, Oh cool, that'll give me a chance to read this, this, and this and you immediately sent me a picture and was like, We covered all those in the first one. <laughs> I was like, okay, then. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's the thing with like doing these is I feel like we've done kind of the ones that people think. Yeah. Of, so it's like, you gotta do But luckily this did give me a couple opportunities to read books that have been on my list for a while. And I finally got to them. Uh, the first one being is Burnt Offerings by Robert Morasco. I'm hoping I'm saying his uh, last name right. I don't know if it's Morasco or Morasco. Um, I'll read the Amazon description first really quick. So it says... Ben and Mary and Rolf are desperate to escape a stifling summer in their tiny Brooklyn apartment. So when they get the chance to rent a mansion in upstate New York for the entire summer for only $900, it's an offer that's too good to refuse. There's only one catch. Behind a strange and intricately carved door in a distant wing of the house lives elderly Mrs. Allardyce, and the Rolfs will be responsible for preparing her meals. But Mrs. Allardyce never seems to emerge from her room, and it soon becomes clear that something weird and terrifying is happening in the house. As suspense builds towards a revelation of what really lies behind that locked door, the Rolfs will discover that their cheap vacation rental comes with a terrible cost. 
the basis for the classic 1976 film adaptation and an acknowledged influence on Stephen King's The Shining, Burnt Offerings is one of the most original and scariest haunted house novels ever written. Okay, I'll get to that last bit at the end. Um, so yeah, the fact that it did um, inspire The Shining, I can clearly see that because it's a, you know, this family that's kind of not really down and out on their luck, but they they really need to change the scenery because there's some, you know, internal problems going on with them. Their, their marriage isn't terrible, but it's it can also be improved. So of course they look at this, like we were saying, this kind of covers already a couple of things we were already saying about how it's cheap, so let's do it. So that's already kind of a bad sign. Um, family's in a little bit of turmoil and that's kind of plays on it. Um, and there's a lot of, you can, I can definitely see where Stephen King pulled from this, uh, especially the family aspect of it. It does have a very slow burn and I do, I know pun intended with the title. Um, but this book is fairly short. I think it's, it's either less than 200 pages or just over 200 pages, uh, that burn could have come a little bit faster because this is one of those ones where I did like everything leading up to everything kind of going crazy and haywire, but it did take a little bit too long. It was like the last 15 pages maybe where everything kind of just went crazy then it ended. I, I'm all for slow burns, but this one, like I said, this one should have kicked in a little bit sooner, especially for how short it is. Um, there is some creepy imagery, um, but it's more so, it's more so the stuff, the internal stuff with the family that kind of um is what's scary like there's um just a small instance this is like non-spoiler or anything but you know they're they have a pool in that house and the dad and the son are playing in there and he's kind of you know he's picking the son up and like throwing him to the edge of the pool they're having fun and he the kid is eventually telling the dad like hey you know i'm not having fun anymore and the dad's like yes you are and he just kind of keeps throwing him and it's just kind of like okay this is not going where we want it to go like you know dad calm down and yeah it's just little things like that and even he was like why was I doing that I didn't even know I was doing that it's just little things like that but like I said had this um had this kicked in a little bit sooner I probably would have given it a uh fridge rating but um I'm just gonna say room temperature just because it didn't really do a whole lot for me but again it's a classic for a reason so i'm sure it's just subjectional i'm sure other people will find it terrifying so if you had that opportunity to find like a really cool house for the summer but there's just like an <laughs> old lady that lives there and you just have to feed her do you think that's a fair trade-off um well if we're going by exactly what happens in the book the husband doesn't have anything to do with it it's always his wife who goes and uh feeds her so you know what fine with me <laughs> kind of reminds me of do you watch uh ozark on netflix i've seen the first season and that was it uh, where like they, they find their house and the realtor's like you can have the house but like the guy lives in the basement that's a non-negotiable oh. sorry yeah <laughs> that's right i've got all about that guy in the basement <laughs> They're like whatever oh, i guess i guess this yeah is choice. <laughs> he, he proves to come in handy though so that's good at least yeah like he's a good character but at first they're like what are you kidding me now <laughs> yeah that is a definitely a weird stipulation my next pick is the house on abigail lane by keelan patrick burke i think if we're going like technical on length i think this is a novelette because i think it's longer than a short story but it's shorter than a novella because I think it's only like 70 or 80 pages, like thereabouts. 
But it's really interesting. So this is the story of the house on Abigail Lane that has had a string of strange occurrences and disappearances. And what I liked about this story is the narrative style. It kind of reads like a, a journalistic piece and it gives this history, but it's removed. So you're kind of in this omniscient POV kind of saying like, and then this is what happened in 1953. And it, it very much seems like you're reading almost like a history book on this house and what has happened and it was just really interesting i think to the point where it almost feels real like it gives it that extra feeling of reality in the way that it's told um so it starts with the home's construction in the 50s and then goes through different inhabitants and events they experienced and what i liked about it too is that there was kind of cultural context for what was going on at the time and how that affected the house and kind of noticing when there was a lull in any activity going on with the house compared to like what was going on with us as a country in the United States. Um, so it was really interesting. I really liked the the way that the story was told. And if you want to pick this up, like I said, it's less than 100 pages. It's a very engrossing and fast read. I would give it a room temperature rating, I think, because you aren't like in the moment with these characters like you're not in any of their povs i would say the stuff that happens is still pretty horrific and you are invested in the story but um it's still i still very much recommend it that is the house on abigail lane by keelan patrick burke keelan's really good with his uh short stories um he's got he's got tons of short story collections um he's only got a few novels but um just kind of going off that really quick i'll recommend one called kin um i kind of liken it to if you've ever seen the texas chainsaw massacre this would be a really good like sequel to it it's kind of picking up right where the final girl leaves off like you pretty much pick up from that point on um and it's really good uh and uh, just a quick shameless promotion uh, i actually had keelan patrick burke on uh my podcast and we talked about john carpenter's the thing and that was a really good episode so just just throwing that out there <laughs> yeah check that out so my next book is the elementals by michael mcdowell i will give you the amazon description of it after a bizarre and disturbing incident at the funeral of matriarch marion savage the McRae and Savage families look forward to a restful and relaxing summer at Bedlam on Alabama's Gulf Coast, where three vacation houses loom over the shimmering beach. Two of the houses are habitable, while the third is slowly and mysteriously being buried beneath an enormous dune of blindingly white sand. But though long uninhabited, the third house is not empty. Inside, something deadly lies in wait. Something that has terrified Dauphin Savage and Luker McRae since they were boys, and which still haunts their nightmares. Something horrific that may be responsible for several terrible and unexplained deaths years earlier, and is now ready to kill again. So, if um, no one knows who Michael McDowell is, uh, I did not know this um, until fairly recently. Uh, he wrote the script for uh, Beetlejuice, and uh, wrote the script for A Nightmare Before Christmas, which is... Um, I mean, those two already are, I mean, you know, Tim Burton properties. So even this has kind of that same feel. Um, it's a very Southern Gothic horror novel, which I feel like is are always fun because um, like we were saying about how you either have your haunted houses that are kind of set suburban or just way out in the woods. But this is, you know, like uh, 
in the South. And that's just, I feel like that's something we don't normally get. Um, so that kind of gives you a little bit of a fish out of water feel. Uh, and if you've ever seen Beetlejuice, you know, uh, Michael McDowell's really great with dialogue. So all the dialogue these characters have, whether it's serious or just them throwing insults at each other is always entertaining. Um, also, I should note that my co-host Ashley, this is her favorite book. And when I told her I was gonna be talking about this one, she was so happy. So <laughs> hopefully she's, she is happy that I'm talking about this one and I'm doing it somewhat justice. Uh, but yeah, the character's really great. It's got some really scary imagery in it. Um, but like, but like Beetlejuice, it's also fun. It's, you're getting this really scary imagery, but you can't help but have a smile on your face because you're just like, oh man, like this is so cool kind of thing. Uh, and it's very fast paced. This one is also another short one. It's maybe 250 pages-ish, um, somewhere around there. So luckily it's a really, um, it's a really quick read. And it also has a couple phrases in there uh, that they repeat a few times that are that will always stick with me. I, <laughs> I sent Ashley one of them just randomly and she messaged me back and was just like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, the elementals. And she goes, okay, that's what I thought, but that was really creepy without context. Um, so while there was very scary imagery, I think I had a little too much fun with this for it to like actually give me a lot of chills <laughs> and scare me, but um, there was quite a bit of creepy scenes in there. So I will I will put this one in the fridge. I love Michael McDowell and I love this book. Someone just read this for the books in the freezer challenge and they tagged me. And when I posted it, someone responded to my story and they said something I hadn't thought of, which is like, what I like about this story is that Mm. it kind of turns the haunted house trope on its head because it's also in the daytime and like on the beach and like also places where you don't think bad stuff is going to happen. And you're right. The dialogue is great. Like the the father daughter relationship at the at the core mm-hmm. of it is so fun, and I oh definitely I kind of see the early seeds of kind of like the Lydia character in a way, like the assassin. I I had another book um, of his on my list. I I don't know if you've read it, but it was Cold Moon Over Babylon. But yes, it was. It's a good one. I I recommend this one. I've had it on my list for a while, and I was thinking about buying it. And the other day, I walked in my bedroom, and on my dresser, I've got just a row of like random books that couldn't fit on my shelf. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to turn and look, and there it was on my shelf. And I looked at my girlfriend. I was like, I did not know we had this. Like, when did we get this? She's like, We've had that for a couple years now. And I was like, Oh well, there you go. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> I think the last no he he also wrote like Gilded Needles, which is like a historical, like Victorian era book seems kind of like the outlier but i also have um on audible blackwater by him which is like uh about this i think it's another like southern gothic horror story family saga and that's like i've been waiting for that one like i've had it on audible just like waiting because Mm -hmm. uh i mean he died i think in the early 90s or late 80s so he only had like a few books that he wrote so it's like i want to savor like all his works (laughs) Yeah, I definitely want to get to Cold Moon Over Babylon. I've heard, I've heard it's really good. Mm-hmm. I loved that one too. Uh, so my last pick is Home Before Dark by Riley Sager. This is kind of straddling that horror thriller line. Um, I talked with Riley Sager on this show about this book, and I loved it. I think. It's between this and, like, Lock Every Door, I think, or vying for top spot, like, I think in his books. 
But what I liked about this is that it's kind of based on the Amityville horror story. So it follows this woman named Maggie Holt, who has just discovered that she has inherited Bainberry Hall. That's the house that her family fled from in the middle of the night, less than a month after moving in. And her father wrote a book about uh, their 28 days in the house called The House of Horrors. And it was a a bestseller. So you see the Amityville horror (laughs) lines up here. So she's kind of grown up and she was estranged from her father. She was really... angry that he did that and he kind of capitalized on their trauma to she said like make all this money and so she has like this weird relationship with the house and she kind of swore to she swore to herself that she was never going to return but now she's an adult and she's the owner and i think she just wants to go in and see what's up because i think she's like a house flipper is what she does so she's like i might as well just like fix it up as much as I can and sell it and get rid of it. And it's really interesting because we're following like her story and her doing that. And of course, (laughs) as she goes back to visit, there's weird stuff that starts happening. Like, you know, in one of the bedrooms, there's like a sound of music soundtrack starts playing. It's like so creepy. (laughs) Oh no. But what I love about this book is that it goes every (laughs) other chapter. So you're following that narrative, but then it goes into, and you read the house of horrors book. So it's like a chapter of that. And then a chapter from this like book that her dad wrote about like when they were this happy family, like moving into this house and like the creepy stuff that started happening. And so I really loved that back and forth dual narrative, dual like story writing style. And I think the way that they line up at the end as everything starts to ramp up is just so good. (laughs) So I think if you're a fan that's just, that's of pretty cool. Riley Sager horror thrillers and are familiar with kind of the Amityville horror story, and you don't even need to be familiar with the Amityville horror story. It is not necessary. Uh, but I love it. I would say it is fridge for me. If I had to pick a rating, I would put it in the fridge. That is Home Before Dark by Riley Sager. I still have yet to read any of, uh, yeah, I, I have, um, I have, uh, what is it? The final girls. Um, I have that one, but I haven't got to it yet. So it's just sitting there staring at me. A lot of people have been telling me to read it, I, but I haven't got to it yet. Yeah. Hopefully one of these days I'll get to it. All right. So my final book, um, was one I had already read before we uh, even talked about this and I was so happy this wasn't going to go in here instantly. Uh, and it is Slade House by David Mitchell. The Amazon description says, Down the road from a working-class British pub along the brick wall of a narrow alley, if the conditions are exactly right, you'll find the entrance to Slade House. A stranger will greet you by name and invite you inside. At first, you won't want to leave. Later, you'll find out that you can't. Every nine years, the house's residents, an odd brother and sister, extend a unique invitation to someone who's different or lonely, a precocious teenager, a recently divorced policeman, a shy college student. What really goes on inside Slate House? For those who find out, it's already too late. 
spanning five decades from the last days of the 1970s to the present, leaping genres and barreling toward an astonishing conclusion. This intricately woven novel will put you into a reality warping new vision of the haunted house story as only David Mitchell could imagine it. Wow. That is a very good description of it. Actually. (laughs) Uh, I had never read anything by David Mitchell before. I think I got this book in a uh, subscription box and the, edition I have is really cool. Um, the artwork for it is already really cool, but then you take off the dust jacket and it's an all white book, which I feel like that's not something you normally see. And I want to say it's got, it's got something else underneath it. Now I can't remember. Maybe it's got a pair of red eyes or something like that. I can't really remember, but it's a really, it's just the look of the book itself is really nice. Um, but I, I really love the premise of this book that, um, I think there's, it spans, so it spans five decades. So each, chapter is a deck is one of those decades there's only five chapters um i'm sensing a theme here again the book is really short it's like a little over 200 pages um and i think it's so much fun to read uh because it kind of gives you that american horror story vibe because it's a haunted house and each chapter is like a new episode because you get a whole new set of characters experiencing what's going on inside this house and you would think that would get kind of stale because it's like oh like how many different things can a house do to certain people oh my god you find out because each chapter and each set of characters has their own unique fate with the house and i really love it because you know it's got a very downer ending but in a fun way like i really like when books don't um don't cater to you and are just you know, like, oh, you thought this was going to end happily? Like, no, sorry, we're not going to end you on a happy note. Um, like, it's always fun when they go against the grain like that. Like, you don't get a Hollywood ending uh, with this one. And um, <laughs> that last chapter has some truly terrifying imagery. Um, I do want to read more by David Mitchell, but I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think he's ever done any more, like, horror-type books. I might be wrong. Um yeah, I don't think he has. I know he has some books that I just, in general, sound really good, but I don't think he's done any more horror. No, yeah. I don't think so either. I think he kind of does literary, but almost like fantasy, too. Because I have Cloud Atlas, which has been on my shelf forever, but it is very intimidating because I know it's much like this. I think it's kind of his style. It just, like, spans, like, different centuries, and you follow all these, like, different characters and I just look at it and I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a, yeah, he's got a book called Utopia Avenue yeah. about like a rock band. And I always like stuff like that. So I might get to that one because it sounds really good. Um, but I would, I would, I think I would put this one in the freezer just because um, the house in this is pretty brutal and relentless and like i said the fact that it ends on a downer is really good too um that just totally adds to it and that's that's what i really like about it so yeah i like the slade house i i read it a long time ago but i definitely there are scenes from it that i remember like i remember i think the college student one was the one that made me the most sad and i think because it's so unsuspecting because i think she's at like a college party when it happens because the house Mm -hmm. part of the thing is yeah yeah it's hidden until that once every 10 years where it just makes itself known (laughs) it just kind of appears and Mm -hmm. then it beckons you and it i would love to see an american horror story style like anthology series of slate house that would be perfect 
because you get to do all yeah, the different right? decades, like, it would be so all cool. the different styles. Yeah, you're right. That would be a really good adaptation. Yeah, and like I said, you would think it would be kind of stale because it's just this person goes into the house, they don't come back out. Like, you know, how much can you really do? But, you know, each each one of these chapters is totally different from the last. And, yeah, it's it's good. I, I might have to reread it again because it's been a few years. Good one and a good last pick for this revisit. You ready to talk about some chilling obsessions? Yes, let's do this. So what have you been enjoying lately? Um, well... I'm going to I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you a cop out answer and a non cop out answer. Uh my <laughs> cop out answer is uh my podcast Be Your Scary Best because we talk about a different horror movie every week and while we have been revisiting um some classics that we've seen multiple times, I've gotten introduced to um some stuff I hadn't seen yet. Um like the original Black Christmas. We did that one last month in December and that was my first time ever experiencing it and that's exactly what it is is an experience that oh man that movie is a trip and a ride and a half uh. i listened to that episode and it was like ashley's first time too yeah it was um yeah it's funny because we were talking about it beforehand and and uh, i go so when we come up to the part in the beginning where they're talking to the guy on the phone she goes I, i'm not saying anything he said on the phone she's like I'll, i will just kind of gloss over that and i was like okay good because that's some pretty bad stuff that he says to them <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't love the house mother i'm like because she's like obviously nobody uh, yeah. loves the house mother and i'm like i love I, her <laughs> i did a couple there was a couple things that i thought were pretty funny but uh, yeah <laughs> like she's funny because uh, when we were, I watched that with uh, the Patreon people. That was one of our like December movies that we all watched and had like a chat. And they're all like, I'm team house mom. Like, I love the house Maybe mom. Maybe I should watch it again because uh, you're, you're introduced to a lot of characters at once. And so, so you're just kind of like, ah, like this, this, this lady's annoying. Yeah. But then you're like, you know what? Looking back on it, she's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah. The least um, so my non-cop-out answer is actually my, my current read. Um it is called The Forgotten Island by David Sodergren. I don't know uh, how many of you have ever heard of him, but he, you can find him on Instagram at Paperbacks and Pugs. He has an adorable pug named Boris. Um, and this is kind of a, it's kind of a Lovecraftian, Jurassic Park slasher mashup. Um, I've heard so many great things about his books, and I can see why. They're just so much fun. Uh, you are basically just reading a horror slasher movie. Um, these friends are all like in thailand having fun but then one night they just get too drunk and have too many drugs and they wind up on this island just off of thailand and it is an island you definitely don't want to go to because there is some scary shit there <laughs> I, I haven't finished it yet but I, I i have not found any reason why it's probably not going to be like a five-star read when i finish because i'm having so much fun reading it and i'm gonna dive into the rest of his stuff afterwards so my chilling obsession is vampires versus the bronx on netflix did you watch it another one i haven't that's another one i really want to see it is so fun i think it just really captured the like fun kids versus evil story that i love so much and i think setting it in the bronx with this whole idea of like gentrification as the evil and like vampires as like that supernatural force that is coming in and like gentrifying this neighborhood i think like 
metaphorically and like within the world of the movie just translated so well and the main cast in this movie is black and like afro latino so you know as these kids are kind of coming to terms with the fact that they are facing off against vampires like they start taking notes and watch blade oh my gosh that is there you know (laughs) that is like they're like okay like he's doing this like they are scared of garlic like they're taking notes and like getting all ready to go and it was just so good and so fun and as they're like talking about all this stuff i just love that there's like a i think it's like a haitian character who's like no man like you don't want to mess with that stuff (laughs) and i think like those of us that have grown up with um I had like a very superstitious Mexican mom. I heard you don't want to mess with that. You don't want to like get in with that a lot growing up. So yeah. I was like, I feel that. I, I remember the premise in it. <laughs> like I'm going to give you a little, yeah. a little lesión, like, <laughs> I, I remember the premise and the look of it giving me a lot of um, Attack the Block vibes. I don't know if that's accurate to say or not. I don't know if you've seen Attack the Block. Oh. I haven't seen that. I, I'm aware of it and like its premise kind of, but I haven't seen it. It's on my list. Oh, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, aliens crash land in the, you know, in an urban setting and just these group of, uh, I guess, hoodlums, if you want to call them that, all just protect their block from the aliens. And it's just, you know, it's it's pretty fun. They're all teenagers, of course. And yeah, it's kind of gave me that vibe. This one sounds a little more, the, Attack the Block is R-rated. And this, I don't think this is, I think this is a little more geared towards families, right? Yeah. All right. And as is our new tradition on the podcast, Bradley, what is your final girl song? I told you beforehand, this was like the hardest part to try to come up with for this episode because um, I think of myself as a music connoisseur and I can almost give anybody a good song recommendation for any occasion so when i heard that i was like oh i'm excited to do this and i spent a good week and a half trying to come up with something and just nothing would stick i'm like oh this is a good song but it doesn't really fit oh this is a good song well that doesn't really go with it <laughs> so i came to the conclusion for like the ultimate comeback song for uh being a final girl and that is mama said knock you out by ll cool j I, I kind of had to picture the scene in my head, which was like, you know, me laying on the ground looking all bloodied and defeated and the camera slowly closing in on my face. And as soon as my eye opens, you just hear, don't call it a comeback. And you know what I mean? <laughs> Funny. When I saw it on the dock, I'm like, that's actually perfect. That is like the, that is final girl energy in that song. <laughs> <laughs> and just just standing up and just you know trying to work your way toward the bad guy and just beating everybody up in your path on the way to get to him just <laughs> oh, that is perfect i am excited to add that to the playlist <laughs> i'm so glad that worked out <laughs> and for listeners that want to check that playlist out i have the link for it in the show notes but it is a spotify playlist called bitf final girl all right, Bradley. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this. And where can people find you online? Um, you can find me um, at I Love This Pod. That was uh, my old podcast I did, and I just have not changed my username because it's kind of how everybody knows me now. Um, but you can also find my current podcast, uh, Be Your Scary Best, um, everywhere you get your podcasts, and um, on Instagram at Scary Best Pod. And we are now on Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Scary Best Pod as well. Thank you so much again.
Thank you. This was so much fun. I, I was so excited to do this. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. You can send us an email at books in the freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. So there it'll be all the books that were mentioned, links to the final girl playlist, and a bunch of other things. We are also on Patreon at Books in the Freezer. Another way to support the show is our Amazon link, which will be in the show notes. And that's just doing your basic, like what you would normally get at Amazon. But you don't have to spend any money to support the show. Word of mouth is a great way to support the show and help the podcast grow, let people know about it. And of course, leaving a rating on something like Apple Podcasts is huge and a big boost to ratings and visibility. So thank you to all of you that have taken your time to do that. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. On Instagram at That's What She Read. That's That's with two A's. And on YouTube as That's What She Read. So join us next time for Books in the Freezer.